going on, Duke fans? Adam Palmer here with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. So, I was going to have a guest on earlier this week. um, That guest, unfortunately, got sick, and I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to wait till after Notre Dame. That is the second game for Duke this upcoming week, or I guess it would be. They play Georgia Tech Saturday, uh, which will be tomorrow at noon, and then... They play Notre Dame with a Saturday-Monday turnaround is at Notre Dame. So I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to do a, a deep breakdown, a big breakdown after the Notre Dame game. But after hearing the news of Trey Jones being probable to play tomorrow against Georgia Tech, I don't know if that means if he plays, he'll be a full go in terms of starting and playing big minutes or just kind of easing him back in. But either way, he should... Probable is what probable is. So I can only say what Kay was quoted as uh, telling the media. So I did want to get at before he officially gets back in just kind of the way he impacts Duke and how Duke has been different without him, what changes. And because I think some of it is spot on what what, uh, I have heard. Various, obviously, I can't hear everything, but uh, the various discussions I've heard about Trey's impact – I think some of it is a bit off base as well. So I just kind of wanted to go over a little bit in terms of just what Duke is going to be getting back. And so I do want to just, I'm going to make this basically as neat and tidy as possible, uh, as quickly as possible. And so real quick, just want to say UVA, I would say the concerns coming out of that Again, late game free throws. It's more than just a trend at this point. It's we've seen it. It's not uh, many think it's just RJ Zion all, as well. I mean, he had a chance to uh, take out Qs if he made a late free throw there. Trey, he's had issues as well. I think he missed a big one against Florida State. Um, uh, besides that, the bench we're still going to see if that can be trusted at all. Jack White with Trey back. It's assumed that he will be coming off the bench again. Obviously, he is a very efficient player and big for Duke when he comes off the bench, so he can be trusted. Uh, Javin Delorier, his foul rate's bag in kind of what is going on range. Um, so he needs to prove he can be trusted on the court without fouling all the time, every second. Uh, Jordan Goldwire actually made a big impact against Pittsburgh. Uh, in the first half, Duke came out a little lackadaisical, which they'd had some big games recently, so it's kind of understandable to a point. Uh, I thought he was big time against uh, Pitt, but obviously he's not going to provide much offense. I think he's like 0-12 this season um, shooting jumpers. So he's more for just kind of to really impact the attitude, impact that defense, and he did a great job. Um, Alex O'Connell struggled with his decision-making and his defense, and for what his skill set can provide on offense, um, no, yeah, that's that's disappointing. Um, so hopefully he can get back in K's good graces and prove himself worthy. Because I mean, trust is huge, and I mean, Javin with the foul rate, O'Connell just, I mean, he had some big, big, big uh, mistakes against Syracuse uh, with the ball, which kind of make his defense more inexcusable because, I mean, the defense is he's going to struggle right now, especially on ball and his awareness off ball, but uh, you can't give the other team free points. That's one thing Duke has been great at uh, not doing this year. So those are the negatives in what should in what is a, a great week after, I mean, there's a lot more positives, 
big-time win against Virginia. Huge win, which went pretty differently than I think many expected, or at least what I expected. So let's let's talk about that real quick. And this is going to relate to Trey. I mean, I wanted to mention those other things with the bench and, uh, by the way, with Pitt. Obviously, they're missing talent right now, um, but Capel's going to get more talent there year by year. And Capel already has a young athletic backcourt of Pitt with Trey McGowan, my guy Xavier Johnson from the DMV, from Bishop O'Connell. He struggled against Duke, but I think he has the potential to be a program changer type of guy. So I think Capel, they, they, they played hard. I mean, they were overmatched, but hopefully Capel can get a, a good thing going and turn around that program 180 degrees from what it's been the last couple years, which was not good. All right, so against Virginia, um, the big defensive adjustment uh, Duke made was really anticipating their pin downs, used a lot of jump cuts to take away their outside shooting. They were willing to just do anything possible to prevent that Virginia outside shooting, which what I had mentioned on the Virginia game day pod was how I think they are so, they're so much more talented offensively than, I don't know, than the offense they were playing in almost gave them credit for. For that blocker mover scheme, it was efficient, but I think they deserved more uh, ball screens. They deserved more action to just let them play. I mean, that bottom line, let them play. And while Duke did take away the outside shooting completely, they proved it. They proved that they can beat you off the ball with Duke. They would basically selling out to deny everything on ball and in the passing lanes. When the UVA ball handlers could beat Duke off the dribble, it was it was almost a done deal. There wasn't much help waiting at the basket. So there was a lot of easy layups for Virginia there. But what uh, wasn't uh, Duke didn't foul. They didn't give up threes, so it's a very different type of game that Virginia was used to. So even just the fact, even though they were efficient um, with the two-pointers, especially close in, I think just taking them out of their basic offense, I mean, in a way, that could help because it just kind of catches them off guard. So uh, either way, I think it was a great game, and uh, I I think what happens is Duke's strength this season on defense is extending out on ball, and totally denying the passing lanes, which prevents teams from even getting into their offense um, until late, if at all, in the half court. And that's something that often is not shown by stats. So as much as Zion, as I've said, can be a band-aid for potential mistakes, I think Trey, his on-ball chaos, uh, prevents many potential possessions which haven't even had a chance to become a mistake. So it's kind of preventative maintenance with him out there, you could say. So with Duke switching everything all the time, even trusting Bolden enough to leave him out on an island against guards and wings, which, to be honest, might be one of, if not the most underrated aspect of Duke's defense this season, it was possible to see how opponent, uh, other offenses could take Trey out of the game plan with efficient screens at least on that side of the ball. I mean, Trey did a great job off ball and even preventing a guy like Brandon Childress from receiving the ball. But uh, then you see games like, you look at Clemson, they used a bunch of ball screens early and often in possessions and uh, to get Trey to off the ball. And when it's easy to look at Shelton Mitchell and see he had great stats against Duke. But it wasn't against Trey the majority of the time. When, he, when Trey was on the ball, it was a done deal. 
as it's been many times this season. I mean, he's incredible on the ball. And uh, he really did allow Duke a chance to fight through screens and prevent possible off-ball mismatches. That's one thing. I mean, we always look at the on-ball, but there's stuff going on off-ball too. So I think he helped in that aspect. With him out against Virginia, I think Virginia created a lot of off-ball screening action. Bottom, bottom line, though, as I said, Virginia's super talented. And when they were able to beat Duke's extended perimeter pressure off the dribble, more often than not, little help there, therefore high percentage buckets. So, I mean, and Duke's offense with the against the pack line, I mean, it was pretty much just giving the ball to, uh, to Zion and RJ and saying, go get him. And, I mean, it's great. Talent is talent. That's, that's it with them. So I don't know how much, if at all, Trey would have helped on offense. But you can see on defense the big impact he can make. All right, so in terms of what Trey can provide, the biggest, biggest, biggest thing outside of that defense, I mean, many people are talking about, oh, Duke hasn't been able to create steals. Duke, um, so that's how you get off, yeah, that's how you get out in transition. I mean, if you really look at the stats, if you really go through each one, not much has changed in, in, uh, in that sort of way. So it's, it's interesting because if you look at, in, in the country, Duke's, their block percentage, the rank number two, still real high up there. Steel percentage, they're ranked number one. And if you look at the last few games, Trey was in there for Duke. And then with him out, it pretty much stayed the same in terms of steel percentage. When you look at that steel percentage, Early in the season, I was commenting a bunch how it was interesting how preseason, I said, Duke they had to get those, uh, those live ball turnovers. They had to in order to get free possessions or free points and or easier points and easier buckets and really get them that energy. And they weren't doing that much. Um, if you look from Kentucky to uh, through Gonzaga, not much at all. Um, besides Eastern Michigan... Nothing was really above 12% in the steal percentage. But the big takeaway there is they were still able to speed up their opponents. That is key. Without even getting those, those live ball turnovers, they were still able to speed them up. Then against Indiana, especially in the first half with all the starters in there, they really amped it up. And then they just really... I mean, I remember even, I tweeted this a bunch of times. I was like, you can't pay attention to these, like, total mismatches against some of these teams where they played Stetson, Hartford, Yale, Princeton, where they were just turning teams over all the time. They were stat-skewing games. So that made it really hard to get a good idea and a good analysis of, was this legit? So they played Clemson, and Duke got a bunch of turnovers against Clemson, a bunch of steals. And then it pretty much, uh, Wake Forest, no, not really. Florida State, nope. And Syracuse, I think Trey, his impact in the first few minutes, especially with the numbered four steals, six minutes, he would have gotten a billion steals if he had played the whole game, and Duke would have just gotten steals until the end of time. I mean, Syracuse was bound to settle down. Obviously, that's not guaranteed, but... I don't think, um, I, I think it would have evened out a bit. And even if it did, didn't, for, um, and Duke did get a ton of steals that one game, I think over time we've seen that 
while Trey impacts, and he can allow Zion to jump the passing lanes and do all kinds of crazy stuff and do his Zion highlights. I mean, the steal percentage is still going to be off and on, and while it helps at any time they can get more steals, like against Pitt, their steal percentage was 12.7. That's pretty good. Better than, that, better than the national average. Did they do much with it? I don't know, not too much. They didn't get out in transition much. I mean, the block percentage, same type, same type of thing. It, it, was, it was high up there. How did it affect Duke? Not much. The offensive rebound percentage, high up there. That allowed Duke to get second chances. So if you're thinking, hey, Duke, they had uh, more opportunities to make plays. They got the steals. They got the blocks. They got the offensive rebounds. So how come they didn't score more? How come the game wasn't fast-paced? Because prior to Pittsburgh, they had sped up every team. I am pretty sure they had sped up every team they played against. Even teams that are tough to play. Like tough to play. I mean, even Virginia, they sped up. Texas Tech. I mean, that was the Trey, like, I think, national breakout game on defense where everyone noticed because although he wasn't matched up against a top-tier point guard, um, Matt Mooney, I mean, he turned him over six times. I think Mooney turned it over basically the same thing last year against Duke um, when he played for uh, South Dakota, I believe. But I think it's just you could see the chaos he created. And, I mean, that made a big deal. So... If Duke isn't getting turnovers, then how is Trey still m- making an impact? Here is how. And for and before I even say that, let's just say if they don't get easy points, if Duke is forced to play half court offense, I mean it's the numbers don't lie right here. In the first four games, they were forty two of one eleven. Three of the four, they shot forty percent or better. And uh, I mean it was. Better than that, uh, when you, I mean, the one game against Eastern Michigan, they shot 5-26, that was against the zone. So you could kind of see the worry there. But, I mean, against uh, Kentucky, against Army, and against San Diego State, they were just bombing away. And a lot of that had to do with Cam and RJ. The next 14 games, let's take a look at the next 14 games. 97 of 335, 29%. So... You don't want to rely on that outlier game, a.k.a. FSU, where they shot 11 for 24, 46%, when Cam was 5 for 8, RJ was 4 of 7. It's tough to rely on that because on catch and shoots this season, they are 27.8% shooting. That's atrocious. But 40% of their... uh, non-offensive rebound putback attempts in the half court are catch and shoot. That's then 26.6% of their made attempts are catch and shoot. So you, I mean, this is, that's ugly. Bottom line, it's ugly. So you want to find as many opportunities to get buckets when you don't have to rely on offensive rebounds in the half court. So that's, the thing that Trey allows. He allows transition, but if the turnover percentage or not just no, see the turnover percentage, that's not the biggest thing. Because if you look at the turnover percentage, it's basically been equal. I mean, I think Pittsburgh is like 20%. And as I said, even Pittsburgh steal percentages was uh, I think about 13%. So it's pretty much stayed even, but it's about 
live ball there. That's the potential that can get Duke out and running. But even when in transition, when you look at a team like UNC, and I, I did these stats when I was preparing for the pod on Wednesday, so they might be off by a game. But uh, UNC, they get, they get on transition a ton. Um, 26% of the time, that's crazy. But they're, 200, they're 287th in points per possession out of 353 teams. So yeah, they get out a lot, but they're not good. I mean, Virginia, they barely get out in transition. But they're great when they do. Virginia gets out in transition 350th in the country. But their points per possession are ranked 35th. So, I mean, NC State, they get out in transition 19.3% of the time, ranked 81. And they're also pretty efficient when doing so. Well, more than pretty. They rank 6th in points per possession. And Duke, that's kind of what they do. They get out in transition 23% of the time, ranks 15th in the country. And their points per possession ranks 55th at 1.138. It's very, that's really good. So, you want to get out in transition as much as you can because they're efficient. How are they efficient, though? Trey. And how did they get out so much even when they weren't causing turnovers? Trey. So what is he doing? I will say, this is, this is the, just watching with the eyes. Because I don't know if there's specific stats that can kind of bring everything I see together. In the fact that I was asking people around me, I was asking some sports writers, some, just different people who've been around the game for a while, have you ever seen, or who is the last you've seen, who can create transition for a team on plays which aren't really transition opportunities? The typical transition opportunities that you see, they aren't from turnovers. They aren't from long offensive, long uh, defensive rebounds, maybe like when a team shoots a three-pointer long miss, gets out in transition. What Trey does, is he... Is he allows Duke to run off of anything. And it is why Duke has sped up every team besides Pittsburgh, even when not turning them over as much as you would think. Because he can throw these bullet, just incredibly efficient, accurate passes off of an opponent-made field goal. When he gets the ball off the uh, inbound, he'll just chuck it down to RJ or Zion and, yeah, it helps to have freak athletes that you can throw the ball to. But these are passes which just don't even make any sense. I've mentioned it at times throughout the year on the podcast. But, not. I mean, it's, it's it really it's hard to sum up how crazy it is. Because he can launch these um, outlet passes off of anything. It doesn't take a turnover. It doesn't take a long miss. He does it off anything, and that's what allows Duke to get easier buckets. And that and that's something which I think is just, man, you can make a compilation off. I, I mean, if you listen to the FSU podcast I did where I broke down every play of the second half, there's like at least four plays where Trey just, he gets the ball off an FSU made shot, and he just launches it down and immediately because you can't, it's not even always a bucket. It's guys getting fouled. It's just leading to easier opportunities. That's what Trey does in a team that's so horrific. <laughs> I, I can't say that enough. Horrific in the half court right now, unless they get offensive rebounds. And those first opportunities, those first field goal attempts, man, it's brutal. I mean, it's either just give the ball to Zion and pray, 
Or I don't know. Because I talked about the three-pointers. So how are they able to beat Virginia with mostly in half-court offense without making three-pointers? Because they sure didn't shoot well, uh, threes well against Virginia. Let me let me see what they shoot against Virginia. Against Virginia, Duke was 2 of 14 on fire. So, um, yeah, so how they beat Virginia? Here is the ultimate outlier. Mid-range. The, uh, the nightmare of all the um, analytics guys. I mean, the, one of the reasons Zion is just the, uh, the godsend of all NBA teams trying to uh, tank. If you haven't seen uh, NBA, why NBA teams are trying to tank for Zion Williamson, um, B-Ball Breakdown, um, they did uh, the, the guy who runs that, Coach something. Sorry, don't mean any disrespect there, but he, he's great. Um, he did a video on, uh, on that, so I think everyone knows by now teams are going to tank for Zion. Cough, cough, Knicks. So uh, let's, let's see here. Mid-range or, yeah, anything, any two-pointer not at the rim. Let's go down these stats. Kentucky, Duke was 3 of 14. Army, 3 of 10. Eastern Michigan, 3 of 14. San Diego State, 5 of 13. Auburn, 4 of 12. Gonzaga, 2 of 11. Indiana, 5 of 13. You get Stetson, 4 of 8. Hartford, 3 of 8. Then you go Yale, 4 of 13. Princeton, 6 of 12. So we got some good stats against some mismatched competition. But then you get back to the better teams. Texas Tech, 5 of 19. Clemson, 6 of 17. Wake, 1 of 3. FSU, 6 of 19, Q's 3 of 9, and Pitt 3 of 15. So these are games where, I mean, they are. this is mostly pretty much like 25 to 30% or below shooting. And you want as few opportunities as those as possible. Because if, you're, if your name is not Syracuse, which for, for some reason every year shoots more long contested mid-range shots and makes them than any team, I mean, even versus Duke, you saw Ty's battle. I mean, a lot of those shots he made were with guys in his face, and Syracuse does that every year. It's kind of remarkable. But overall, these are not high-efficient shots, mid-range twos or long twos, and you want to avoid them. You want those attempts to be as little as possible, and that's why Zion is beloved because he basically he'll shoot some three-pointers, but if he's not shooting a three, he's at the rim. There is very, very few... There, are, there have been very few um, two-point attempts he shot that haven't been at the rim for layups and dunks. But against UVA, Duke was 15 of 19. 15 of 19. R.J. Barrett was 9 of 10, and Zion Williamson was 5 of 6. You want to talk about the ultimate outliers there. I mean, I mean and then at Florida State, R.J. was 4 of 7. If you look at the others, I mean, you have Trey, 1 of 5, Cam, 1 of 4, Zion of 2, Jack White of 1. I mean, that's more typical. Like, so for RJ to have those two games from uh, mid-range 2, I mean, yeah, it's nice, but you don't want that. You do not want to rely on that. I mean, that is crazy. So you have the huge outlier game from 3 against Florida State. The only game in the last 14 that they've uh, shot 40% or better. Most of them haven't even been close to 40%. They've been horrific. So that's a major thing of why they beat Florida State. 
and then Virginia to be the outlier game where they shot four where they shot 15 of 19 from two pointers not at the rim. I mean, great wins. And I almost want to say, hey, you know what? A win's a win, we'll take it. But this isn't the same thing as those who critique Zion for not showing more range all the time and not showing more diversity. I mean, come on, if you can get to the rim and dunk, why in the why on earth wouldn't you take the most efficient shot possible in basketball? It's the same thing. I mean, that's why I, I kind of I keep trying to compare Duke to uh, to uh, Antunacumpo, Giannis Antunacumpo, or Giannis. I'm still not quite sure how you say the first name, but uh, for for the Bucks, because I mean, he's he, I think he shot thirty percent from three last year. He's down to like eighteen percent this year. He, he's he's not doing, but he's having the best year of his career. MVP candidate. He's making the Bucks better. It, it's just take the best shots you can get. You don't have to be the Warriors all the time. Even in this age of everyone can shoot, all five players. You take the you take what the best shot is. And if you're talented enough to get to the rim, why not? Why on earth would you do anything other? So, I don't think Zion deserves critique for that. But, I mean, what I was saying... What Trey does is he will allow for easier opportunities, whether it's off of turnovers, whether it's off of made shots, missed shots, any shots, anything. I was trying to think of who I could possibly compare to who can just create transition for himself and others. I mean, with Trey, 90% of the time it's for others. If you're talking about just... For yourself or others, I mean, Allen Iverson, if anyone remembers him at Georgetown, I mean, that guy was a speeding bullet. He'd get the rebound and just jet down. I mean, most of the time that was for himself. Um, I, I think, I mean, I'm not, I, this isn't play style at all. This isn't play style. But Jason Kidd might be the closest thing I can think of for what I've seen. For In college, uh, I'm sure many Duke fans would love to forget uh, if they even remember the 92-93 um, Cal versus uh, Duke upset. That was Bobby Hurley's last game. That was pretty ugly for Hurley. Jason Kidd, I mean, he was incredible in college. I mean, mean, don't remember him for those last couple years when he would just stand in the NBA at the three-point line, really couldn't move much. He was unbelievable at just doing everything. You get the rebound, I mean, this is why I look. Uh, I'm comparing Trey. He could outlet it down with incredible proficiency, accuracy to anyone. He could take it himself. Trey's not that as physical as Kid. He's not as big as Kid. Trey's a pretty physical guy, and um, so I mean, one thing he does, he embraces the contact, embraces the physicality. That's one thing I think has gone underrated with him. His his ability and desire and want to to get rebounds in traffic on defense, and then he can just take it down himself. The the faster you can get Trey the ball, the better. So that's what we're going to be seeing. That's what Duke is going to do to speed it up because to see that Duke, they got the turnovers against Pitt. They got the offensive rebounds. They did everything which, they got the offensive rebounds. They, they, uh, they did everything you would ex- you would hope for. But the game wasn't sped up. So that, again, 
That's what Trey provides. It's not simply one stat that you can point to. It's watching him game after game after game and seeing the way he does things that guys just you don't see too often. That's what's so rare about him. And I described his impact on defense, how that might not always be shown in stats as well. It's going to be great to have him back. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically all I got to say about that. I just wanted to go over all the Trey aspects and kind of how, what impact we'll see. And really, that that's it. That's what I wanted to cover. So I will be back next week with a uh, with another podcast. Um, Duke will have played Georgia Tech tomorrow and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is at South Bend, so home and away. Um, these aren't two of the better teams in the ACC, but Georgia Tech, they've gotten some... Uh, some, um, you know what, I'm not even going to pretend to know, I haven't watched too much of them, I, I know something about them, but unless I can talk more in depth, not even worth it. So, until then, uh, subscribe, review, do what you do with the, uh, Commerce Corner, um, that's how you will find me on iTunes, Commerce Corner, you can find me at CC underscore Duke Games on Twitter, for the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast, I'm Adam Comero, I will be talking to you guys soon.